Good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to you. We want all of you mothers to know that we, we love you so much. We appreciate you, and we want you to know how loved and appreciated you are this morning. And, and for Mother's Day specifically, I've been praying about uh, uh, that the Lord would give me a word. And this kind of ties in to Mother's Day, the word that the Lord gave me, just because as I'm thinking about my mom and how much I love her and how she's sown into my life and planted a good seed into my life throughout my entire life and taken care of me and raised me and, and just been a true mother to me. One of the things that my mom taught me, and really I would say that she is She's most known for, in my, in my personal opinion, and that is just her radical kindness. She's always kind to everyone uh, that, that we come into contact with, always has been since I was a little kid. I have a very specific memory of riding the bus when I was a little kid, and there was a boy on this bus who a lot, a lot of the kids, they made fun of him. They gave him a hard time, and I sort of just followed suit because I was a kid and didn't know any better, and I remember telling my mom about this little boy and saying, you know, that they made fun of him because he stank and some, something terrible like that, and, and she, she, she grabbed me and looked me in the eyes, and she said, son, when you get back on that bus, you're going to go and you're going to sit by that boy, and you're going to be kind to him. And I remember that very vividly. I was just, just a little feller, but she, she was telling me that, and she was sowing that seed into my life. And I want to speak to you this morning specifically about the law of kindness. And I, I think a lot of times, especially when we think about when we think about kindness, when we think about just the nature of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, oftentimes, maybe more times than not, you'll actually see the nature of God in the love of a mother more so than you will maybe in a preacher's sermon. Uh, I believe that with all of my heart. And sometimes we need to look at things like that in our lives to really see the nature of God reflected and revealed. So I want to talk to you about the law of kindness. And in Galatians 5.22, the, the Bible says it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and it says the fruit of the Spirit is. And of course, there's nine fruits of the Spirit, but I want to speak to you about kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. In Proverbs 31, it has this list of virtues of, of what is a virtuous woman, a Proverbs 31 woman. And it says this about her in Proverbs 31, verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, we've been in this quarantine situation now for about eight weeks. And I think uh, tensions are increasing in various ways. Even if you get on social media right now, it seems like tensions are increasing. Like people are frustrated. People are angry. People are ups upset. And suspicion, anger, and outrage seem to be on the rise and seem to be breeding. And here's what I want to say about Christians is that we've got to understand that we must always be bold in speaking the truth in love, but we must never be be duped by the culture around us so that we begin to speak and adopt the same attitude and the same reaction that the rest of the world is reacting with. Because it's easy to just follow suit with the anger and the outrage that everybody else is stepping into and forget who God has called us to be as a light and what that light actually looks like in the world, how we are supposed to react, how our behavior and our attitude is supposed to be. And oftentimes we can get caught up in the flesh and respond with a reaction that is not kind or not loving at all and actually sometimes refer to it as a holy thing refer to it as a righteous thing, and we forget about the fruit of the Spirit 
in our lives. And see, we're not called as Christian people to go with our gut reactions every time something happens or every time somebody says something that we don't like or every, t- every time somebody that e- even does something that we totally disagree with because it's wrong. We're not called to just follow our gut reactions and react with an outburst or, or something like that. But see, we are to model the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus, and we are always to be countercultural. We, we respond differently than the world responds. We respond differently than people who are living in this world and living in the flesh. Now, the world is becoming increasingly, and I was talking to, to Andre about this, and I said, you know, what do you think is the opposite of, of kindness? And we, we listed a few different words, but one of the words that we agreed on was harshness. That the opposite of kindness is being harsh. And the world seems to be becoming increasingly more harsh. And you've got to understand that kindness is an alternative to the harshness that we see all around us. Now, there's a word in the New Testament for, for harshness, and it actually means to make bitter or to make sour. It's as if there's a sweet, a sweetness that flows from a person that all of a sudden that, that, that stream is turned and it becomes bitter and it becomes sour. If you look it up in the dictionary, harshness means to be grim or unpleasantly severe, to be stern, cruel, crude, rough, and raw. And I think what's happening right now is a lot of people just, they, like I said, they just get caught up in the flow of this attitude and don't even realize that it's slowly happening to them. And the world is such a dog-eat-dog world, but they actually think that the, in order to exist and even in order for Christians to feel like they have a voice in the world, they feel like they have to respond and react with this harshness in order to get people's attention and so that people will listen to them. But see, we, 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 got, we got to understand that that this, these are really the, the, the reactions that we're talking about are considered works of the flesh. If you read in that same chapter in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says that the works of the flesh are evident and it gives a list of social sins. And these social sins in one section of it, they say hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And these words have a brutal and a harsh tone to them. But see, we don't just live in a harsh culture as Christians. We have contributed to the harsh culture as Christians. I, I got to be honest with you. If you look at our world and you look at the situation in our world, when Christians show up on TV, when they walk into a room, really what's going on in our world, a lot of times Christians aren't necessarily considered the kind ones. They come in on the scene and as the world looks at Christians and views Christianity, they often view Christians as the ones who come in with that are very dogmatic, very hardcore, very intense, very defensive, and sometimes frustrated and angry and always looking to pick a fight. That's kind of what the world looks like as Christians. They don't have the best reputation all the time. Christians don't always have the best reputation. And and here's what's so bad about that is that when we project an image of God that is harsh, when we're harsh, we project this image of God that is harsh. And that's a misrepresentation of God. When we are harsh, we project an image of God that is untrue. When we're harsh, we project an image of God that is untrue. 
I, I remember whenever, and listen, this even happens. I've been listening to different sermons on Facebook and in different places. And sometimes I listen to sermons and, and I, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm a little bit judgmental. I'm judgmental when I listen to my own sermons and messages. And maybe I shouldn't be. I'm really just wanting to hear the word of God. But sometimes I hear a tone and I hear a voice and I'm thinking, man, I just don't know if that's the spirit of God or not. And I know whenever people get done preaching, they say, well, all glory to God. I'll say this, all glory to God whenever something good comes out of me. But when it's ever something, something negative comes out of me, and if it's not birth of the Spirit of God, then, then that's on me, because that is not on the Lord. But I can remember specifically, uh, I was pastoring a church, not this one, and man, that something was going on. People were attacking me in various ways, and uh, people had said a lot of negative things about me just the night before on Saturday, son. And I had my sermon ready, and I was steaming, boiling mad. I was cooking one up. And I, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I, I'm going to pray. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to deliver this. But you know what? My anger got the best of me that morning. And I preached from a position of anger in my heart at this congregation. And whether I was aiming it at people specifically, it, I probably was in, in, in various ways. But here's what was so interesting is I got done preaching this sermon and all of the people who had been church members for years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, they said, that's the most anointed I've ever heard you preach. Because us in church, that's what we begin, that's what we get used to. We get used to that harshness. And we identify sometimes as a godly type of a thing. And everybody's like, oh, you were so anointed. But there was a woman there who was not really, not really involved in church that much. And she was more in tune with reality. And she, I noticed, had been coming to church. And for the next few weeks, she didn't show up. And I wondered about her. I got worried. I prayed about it. She showed up at a prayer meeting on a Wednesday at noon and, and a few handful of people were there and I started talking to her because I had realized that something may have went wrong then. And she shared her heart with me and she said, well, last time I was here, she said, I decided to go somewhere else because last time I was here, when you preached, I felt condemned. I felt like not only that were you angry at me and I didn't know why, but I felt like God was angry at me. And that penetrated my heart. It caused me to repent. It caused me to pay closer attention to what I was speaking when I stood up. And it caused me to, to, to pray to the Lord and beg the Lord, Lord, never let me get up and let my own emotions or my own anger, or my own frustrations come forth. Let the spirit of God bear the fruit of kindness and love and joy and peace in me so that that is what the people that are, that are listening to what I speak, that's what they hear. And see, that, that, that did something in my life. And that's the thing. We, we got to understand that as Christians, we project an image to the world and the world is looking at the image that we project. And we got to ask ourselves, what image of God are we projecting? I, I remember reading uh, when I was in college, different books by atheists. And there's one specific atheist. Now, this is a terrible quote, two terrible quotes that I'm going to give you. But I'm going to give you them to represent how the world views the image of God that we project when we misrepresent him. And Richard Dawkins says this. He's a leading atheist of our day. Uh, he wrote a book called The God Delusion, and he says he puts forth God as one of the harshest beings in all the world. And he says this about God. He says the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous, jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now that's a lot of big words. 
and it's a lot of bad words, right? That's, that's, it's, it's really, it's blasphemous about the true nature of who God really is. But this is the image that he's picking up on. This is the image that he's seeing for whatever reason. And all of these things basically say that God is angry. God is harsh. God wants to hurt people. He's really not, doesn't even care about people at all. And Christopher Hitchens, another atheist that, that you, you can look up and he debates different Christians on different issues. But here's what he says. He says, religion is a totalitarian belief. It is the wish to be a slave. It is the desire that there be an unalterable, unchallengeable, tyrannical authority who can convict you of thought crime while you are asleep, who can subject you to total surveillance around the clock every waking and sleeping minute of your life before you're born, and even worse, and where the real fun begins, after you're dead, a celestial North Korea who wants this to be true? Well, I got to be honest with you. I, no, I don't want that to be true. But I'm so thankful that that is not the reality of who God is. And we have to be sure that the world is not picking up from our behavior and from our attitude that this is the type of God that we serve, that we worship, because this is not the God that I serve. This is not the God that I worship. But see, we've got to understand that there's an idea about God out there in our world that he's not a kind God, that he's an angry God, that he is a harsh God, that ultimately he is against people and he is angry and he is upset with people. And when we portray that image of God, we are portraying an image of God. God that is antichrist. When we think about God and what he looks like, we should think about Jesus. And any image of God that we portray that is other than Jesus is not the image of God. Because Jesus is the fullness. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the fullness of that. And see, we need a self-diagnosis sometimes to check on our own harshness. I've had to check on my own harshness during this season, during the quarantine, because I've had frustrations come up. I've had things that I've dealt with, and I've had to check on my own harshness. And I know most of us, we're not really that hateful. We're not really that angry and messed up and all that. But see, we can notice if we look deep within that there are times when we get a little bit more harsh than we should, and we don't allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident. So let me list the roots of our harshness. Some of the reasons that this harshness, this unkindness begins to manifest in our life. And the first one is competition. I think, I think a lot of times the reason that we're harsh is that we feel like other people are people that we have to beat or people that we are in competition with. Somebody that's trying to take my spot or somebody that's trying to be better than me and I got to strive to have more than them, be better than them. And even in the church world, rather than celebrating when other churches are doing good things, we often look at them as our competition and get frustrated and aggravated that they may be doing better than us. And that brings about something in us that is not of God. It's a harshness in our lives. And secondly is the violent speed of life. We are in such a rush. And this is one of the things that I notice about my own self is that I will be, I even noticed this a week or so ago. I can't remember where we were at, but my wife and I were somewhere and she was just being so kind to this person that we were talking to. And I realized that I was in such a, a frantic rush trying to make things happen that I did not even acknowledge the individual that I was in the presence of. And so I'm, I'm confessing my sins this, this morning. But at some point, you've got, to take a, you've got to take an evaluation of what's going on in your life and whether or not the fruit of the Spirit is even being produced in your life whatsoever and whether or not you're being conformed to the world system because you're spending so much time on Facebook that you're starting to think the same way that your Facebook thre thre thread thinks. 
And you got to make sure that that does not infect you, but that the Word of God infects you. The Spirit of God controls you and leads you. And this violent speed of life will cause you, man, to react in ways. It's just like when you go into a restaurant and and they're taking so much time to get your food and and you end up taking it out on the waitress. And And kindness leaves you. Why? Because they're supposed to get it to me when I need it, when I want it. And life's about me. And thirdly, is we have a harshness because of our numbness. And the truth is a lot of us were just so self-centered that we don't really want to be bothered about what other people are going through. And we're numb to the reality of other people. We're not thinking about other people around us and what they might be dealing with because we're so self-focused. Lastly, fourth, we have misplaced identity and loyalty. We just simply forget who we are, who God has called us to be, and we become more loyal to other things in our lives than we do to God and understanding that we are his ambassadors called to reflect his image. And listen to this. We actually owe a kindness to every individual around us. As Christian people, you owe a kindness to the people around you because God has showed you so much kindness in Jesus Christ. And see, it's important to note this because much of our harshness in our tone and lives is directed at people with whom we disagree. You cannot be a Christian and win a world that does not know God if you are constantly harsh toward those, pe- toward those people who disagree with what you believe. You cannot win them that way. Because you're angry and frustrated with them because they believe in what we consider to be sinful things. If your response to them is harsh and angry, then you're never going to win them. You're only creating a gap that they can never cross because they see that you don't truly value them as a person. And you treat them contempt with contempt because they have a different opinion with you rather than valuing them as a human being. This is important for us to know as, as Christian people and The fruit of the Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as we yield to Him. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, He says, listen, I want want to get down into your heart. I want to deal with those areas of frustration and harshness and just those rough edges and uproot some of those things and implant my kindness into your heart so that you can reveal my character and my nature to the world around you. And here's here's what we have to know is that the Bible, uh, despite what... Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens says the Bible teaches that God is kind. In the Old Testament, see, a lot of times, even in our world today, we're like, oh, well, the Old Testament, man, there's just some hard stuff to deal with there. We need to probably toss that out and stick to the New Testament only. I would argue to you that the Old Testament teaches of kindness, of God being predominantly kind and loving above all else as well. We don't have two separate gods in the Old and New Testament. It has been one God throughout the age. There were portions in the Old Testament where they only caught glimpses of God. And then the full revelation of God came in Jesus Christ. We understand that. But when we're reading the Old Testament, you begin to see glimpses of the truth of who God really is in his nature throughout. There's this word in the Hebrew language. It's called hesed. It can be translated loving kindness or love or kindness or grace. It's translated in a variety of ways. But in Micah 6, 8, he says it like this. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
lot of times that will be translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated love. But the truth is, is that throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, God's love, kindness, and goodness are synonymous. You cannot separate the three. In other words, God's love is revealed in the fact that He acts kindly toward human beings. That's how his love is revealed. They all flow together. They work together. And when God comes and reveals himself to Moses in the Old Testament, Moses is walking with God. He's trying to figure out what God's like. He says, God, show me your glory. I can't go forward unless I know who you are, what you're about and what you're going to do, because I just don't understand all of your ways. Would you show me your glory? And God comes and he says, hide in the cleft of the rock. And he only shows him his back parts. He doesn't even get a full revelation. But even in the glimpse of the revelation that he's that he gets in Exodus 34, 6, it says this, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. See, the thing that God wants Moses to know about him will frame the rest of the Old T Testament about who God truly is. And I understand, I get it that there are challenging passages. I read some, I read some passages in Scripture in the Old Testament. I think, wow, that's pretty, that, seems, that does seem harsh, that does seem intense. But what you need to understand is that while God's predominant nature, who He is, is love and kindness and compassion and grace, but He is also holy. And any time that you see that sense where it seems like, He's pouring out anger or he is pouring out wrath. I promise you he is doing it against the injustices and the evils that we suffer. And when you see that coming forth, it is a righteous and a holy and a pure thing because we, I'm telling you folks, when, we, when all this wraps up and there is a final judgment, we would be horrified if God did not bring justice to the evil that was in the world. We'd be horrified. And when you see that in the Old Testament, that is what he is doing. He is doing, he is dealing with the, the rebellion of an evil creation. He is responding to evil and injustice. But God's heart is always sadness. He is grieved whenever he has to pour any of that out on a rebellious creation. It, it never makes him happy. It never pleases him because his default is to be kind and gracious. Now I'm going to read a lot of scripture right here because I have to get you rooted and grounded in scripture, even from the Old Testament, to understand the nature of God. But Jeremiah is a strong, strong book. And what you find is that Israel has rebelled against God and they are going into exile. They're experiencing the judgment of God. And it's a very difficult thing to read for about 29 chapters. And even in the midst of our favorite one, and when God says, I know the plans that I have for you, you know, and all, all these things, we love that scripture. But it is in a time of where, where God is saying, you're going to be in exile and you're going to be enslaved for another 70 years. Then he says, but I know the plans that I have for you and they are good and they're to prosper you. But there's something going on here. And in Jeremiah 31, 20, he says, is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight, though I have often Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. So even though God is righteously judging evil and injustice, he still yearns like a father does for his son for them. He's not casted them off in the sense that he is so angry that he does not still love them and yearn for them. He is dying to be next to them and he has compassion on them. In the book of Hosea, it's another book about God's judgment, but also his faithful love. And I, I, I love what it says in Hosea 11. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. 
They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. Now notice this. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? God is not a vindictive megalomaniac. He is a longing, loving father. He is a wounded lover that desires all of his children, all of his people to return to him. Yes, he has to judge righteously, but at the end of the day, his his core being is love and his nature is to respond in kindness even when and even after we have rejected him and rebelled against him. They continued to rebel against him over and over and over again. And even when he called them over and over. They never responded positively, but yet he said, I'm after them because I love them and I miss them and they are my children and I want to be with them. In Nehemiah, he's dealing with this brokenness and he's trying to restore Israel. And in Nehemiah 9, 17, it says this, they refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. See, God isn't walking around with a disposition of anger toward every person who doesn't agree with him right now. He's not walking around mad at every human being who has rejected him to this point or is walking in sin and living in disgrace. Yes, God will judge righteously and there is a judgment that is coming upon the face of the earth. But God is a kind God who is looking to redeem the world and is calling all, even those who are rebellious and turned against him, toward him in his loving kindness. His default heart is steadfast loving kindness. And even when God is trying to wake up his his people, it's not just about his punishment, but it's about them turning back to his heart again. He's not trying to to scare them to death with his punishment, but he's trying to bring them back to them. In Joel 2.13, he says, so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. And all of this, all of this Old Testament picture of the goodness of God and the kindness of God is finally fully revealed in the life of Jesus Christ who said, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came that the world might be saved. I did not come to destroy men's lives, but I came so that they might be saved. And in Titus chapter three, I read this last week. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is trying to even clarify this even more. And he he comes and he says, look, this kindness of God is not just toward those who love God. God is not just going to be kind because you love God and you go to church. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. He says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. 
But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. And notice what it says here. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Now, I know I just read a whole bunch of Scripture. I don't even know if you were able to follow with me. Maybe you have to reverse this later and go back and read through them again. But the point is, I had to go through Scripture in the Old Testament and sum it up in the New, that at the end of the day, you've got to understand that God's nature toward His creation is kindness and it's goodness. And see, but the, the reason being is because if we got a wrong image of God and we don't see God for who He truly is in Christ, we will not feel this obligation to actually reveal that kindness to a broken world that does not know God. We will be harsh. We will be frustrated. We will be angry. We'll be caught up with the rest of the world just acting like the rest of the world being dogmatic religious people who are frustrated and angry. And honestly, that's how the world sees the church in a large way. Jesus is kindness embodied. If you look at his ministry throughout his entire ministry, he comes to various people. He comes to the widow at nine and, and she has just lost her son. And they're having this, this, this big funeral and they're going through the streets and this boy has died and Jesus walks up to this woman as she's weeping and he reaches out to her. He looks her in the eyes and he says, woman, do not weep. And, he, and he, he, everything that he does, yes, he heals. Yes, he raises the dead. Yes, he casts out devils. But he does that all because of compassion and because of kindness. That's what he reveals. There's a place where Jesus was in a Pharisee's house. And the Pharisees say, they say, look, if Jesus knew who that woman was and what she did, he would not be, if he was a prophet, he would know. And he would not allow that woman to touch his feet and wash, her, wash his feet with her hair. He would not allow that. And Jesus looks at them. And basically defends this woman, is kind to this woman, and says, don't take away what this woman is doing right here. He says the same thing to his disciples when Mary breaks the alabaster box. They respond with harshness. They say, hey, this should have been, that should have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus says, leave this woman alone. He does the same when a woman is caught in adultery and they harshly throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, this woman should be stoned. And Jesus basically turns it back on them in order to defend the woman, to step in place of her. And he says, he begins to write in the ground the commandments. He probably most likely writes their name beside the commandments as he's writing in the ground. That's, that, that's from my perspective. And he says, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And they're convicted in their hearts. They walk off. He looks at this woman in kindness and love. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And he says, go and sin no more. He, he reveals that he is a God that is kind even to the evil, even to the unthankful, even to the worst of the worst. Jesus reveals that God is kind. And when Jesus sees the brokenness of our world, he doesn't do like we do. He doesn't move away from the brokenness of our world and try to distance himself from it. In kindness, he moves toward it. He moves into it. And he reveals the goodness and the nature of God in it. Kindness is compassionate other-directed generosity. It's about looking at somebody else and recognizing that they're a human being, that they need, that they've got brokenness. And yeah, they probably got different opinions than you. Thank God. And, and, and when they have that, they're still a human being to be valued, to be respected, to be loved. And kindness is when we look at our neighbor's good as important as our own good. Now, spirit-led kindness, what God really wants to do in our heart is spirit-led kindness, number one, is this kindness humanizes, not demonizes. It doesn't see an issue or it doesn't see a political affiliation. It sees a person. 
It doesn't demonize. We don't categorize human beings based on whether they're Republican or Democrat, even though I know y'all all do that, and I have done it too. I know we do that. But you've got to understand that at some point, if you are truly interested in loving those individuals, do you think Jesus labels people Democrat or Republican? I know there are issues where we have ideologies. We even believe things that are totally wrong, maybe even evil. But he does not categorize that human and say, say they're of no value. They don't deserve kindness. They don't res deserve respect anymore. That's not how he sees them. That's not, he doesn't demonize. He humanizes them. Secondly, this kind of kindness is willing to listen. You've got to be willing to sit and listen to a person's story before you can make a judgment about them. How did they get to where they're at? And you've got to be willing to listen and understand where they're at. You can't just, kindness does not come in and just dominate every, every conversation. Y'all know about that? Like you just, you just with people that just dominate every conversation, they're not interested in you. Kindness takes interest in the other person to know how they got where they're going, where, where they're going, what's, what's been going on. Somebody said that being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, being loved and being heard are almost the same thing. Just having somebody that will listen to them, what they've been through, what they're going through. And that kind of kindness transforms the world. Thirdly, this kind of kindness, it meets tangible, practical needs. It's not a superficial just smile at you. It's something that looks at the needs of the world and says, I can practically, tangibly help this person and reach out to this person in this situation. Fourthly, it creates space for restoration. I want to get to that one here in just a minute. But before I do, I want to read Romans 2, 4 in the Passion Translation. It says, do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? Now, this is a very interesting verse because I believe that us as Christians actually probably read that in the reverse and live that and believe it in the reverse, which would be it's, it's repentance that leads to kindness. In other words, God is pretty much angry at you and he's really upset with the way that you've been living. And maybe he might even hate you, honestly, because God hates sinners. And, and that, I've heard people say this type of a thing. And so what we believe is that because he's so angry and upset at you in your sin, that, right, that really you got to repent first and then God will be kind to you. This scripture is saying the opposite. This scripture is saying while you are still in sin, God loves you. While you are broken, God is reaching out to you. And it is actually his extravagant kindness that when you begin to see it, it leads you to repentance. That kindness brings you to a place of repentance and it's not the other way around. See, we've got to create an environment where and when we come into an environment, when we sense God's kindness, I got to be honest with you, for me, what actually transformed my life is because I thought God was so angry at me because I continued to sin. No matter how hard I tried, I failed. I thought I was doomed for hell. There was no way out for me. And then all of a sudden I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it was as if somebody was pouring liquid love and kindness all over me. And in that moment, I said, I will live for this person. This is somebody that I'm willing to give everything for in order to live for this person because I've never felt somebody love me like this. And that's what Jesus wants to do to people. And, and as Christian people, that's what we got to understand. It's when people feel that love, that kindness, that goodness of God, that they're going to be transformed. Then they're going to be willing to lay down their sin, not because you berate them and you, and, and you dehumanize them and you give them a hard time for the situation that they are in. If you get these things out of order, you have religion and you have harshness, but you do not have biblical Christianity. 
And I'm afraid that so many churches that are even going out on Facebook this, this Sunday morning, they do not have biblical Christianity. They have religion and they have harshness. I've heard too many sermons in my life to know that that's a reality. And here's the thing, we got to say, I have to say that with humility because I know that I'm, I'm a human being and I could get caught up in that same attitude, that same behavior, and look through the same lens of harshness at the world and be angry and judgmental the same way because my view of God could, could become that. I was looking, at, as I was studying this and studying about kindness, I came across this, this little article and it talked about this book that was written by a woman named Rosario Butterfield. You got to listen to this story. But she wrote this book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely, Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into the Christian Faith. And she basically tells this story about how she was a postmodern English professor at a college and, and she, was, she was just anti-Christian, anti-religion, and she pushed that agenda hard in, in, in the schools. And, and promise keepers had come to her uh, local neighborhood, and they, it's basically a movement for men, for godly men to rise up and, and live godly lives. And she wrote an article in a newspaper that just, she was harsh toward it. She called it out. She was like just rejecting it, saying how foolish it was, how ignorant it was, and, and wrote a pretty harsh article about it. And in the, in the ensuing weeks there, afterward, she got a lot of mail. Some of it was hate mail. Some of it was people just supporting her and saying, good article. Yeah, you know, put, kick that trash out of this, out of this. This is defiling us and getting and all this stuff. And so she was boxing her mail in either hate mail or like good mail and support. And finally she got a letter and it was from a local pastor. And she's reading through this letter. It's a two-page response. And this local pastor is responding to her about this. And obviously he's disagreeing with what she is saying. But she says about this letter as she's reading it, she says it was a kind and inquiring letter. It had warmth and civility to it. And it probed her with some questions that she hadn't quite considered. This woman was a, a lesbian. She was an LGBTQ activist. She was heavy into that stuff. And, and she, she spoke about some of that concerning this and she was dealing with all these issues in her life and he starts to to, to present some different things to her but but she ends up saying it was the kindest letter of opposition that I've ever received now obviously in the other letter she had received some mail from some, some Christian people that wasn't too wasn't too kind but from this man, she received this letter, and so she calls him. They become friends. They strike up a friendship. He invites her into her home, and she's telling this story about how she converted to Christianity from this, this totally different lifestyle that was anti-Christian. And he invites her into her home, and she says when, when she comes in, he had done his research and read up on her and some of the things that she had written, and she, he knew that she was really interested in the environment, so he turned the air conditioner off. He figured out that she was vegan, so he cooked this meal that was totally vegan, even though he wasn't at all. He was doing all of these things to make her as comfortable and valued and loved and cared for as he could. And she says, as she's sitting down at the dinner table with him, having this conversation, she had never felt kindness and value like that from somebody else in her life. And it created this space. It created this environment for all of a sudden what had kept her from coming to the reality of the cross, the reality of the love of God for her life. She ended up giving her life to Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ because of this kindness, this space that was created. And I'm just, all I'm saying is there's so many people out there in the world that we're not even giving them space 
to possibly come in because all we do is we just, we just go off and we're, in, we're outraged and, and all of these things that the evil that's in the world. Look, listen, there's evil in the world. Jesus knew that there was outrageous evil in the world, but look at how he treated people on a daily basis. It was that kindness that he revealed that led them to repentance. And I'm not saying, I know, I know many people that are listening to this, they're going to say, well, Clay's soft and he's humble and soft and he don't want to stand up for the truth. No, I say stand up for the truth, but I'm saying you don't have to be angry and frustrated every time you stand for truth. The scripture says we are to speak the truth in love. And we got to understand what that means. We can't just quote it. We have to learn to live it. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to create a culture of kindness. And number one, if we're going to create a culture of kindness, we have to be kind in our speech. Proverbs 15:1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you done an audit of your tone lately? I, I was talking to Andre about this earlier. Every now and then I got to audit my tone. And sometimes I just be walking around the house, you know what I'm saying? About, and even though it doesn't come out of my mouth, there's a tone in my heart. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, uh, uh, uh. you know, I mean, you got, you got that tone in your heart. You're just, you're just, angry. and you know, if something comes out, it's just going to be sour. It's just like, Andre be like, hey, you want something? To eat? Yeah, I'll take something. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. Hopefully you do. I mean, I got like two or three people here that they probably do. And hopefully there's, you know, a hundred of you out there that maybe do. But you got that tone in your own heart. And it, maybe it's not coming out of your mouth, but it's in there, man. And, you're, and it's just waiting to bubble up and come forward. But see, the scripture says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And see, our words, I mean, like even on Facebook, I feel like as I'm scrolling through Facebook right now, the overall tone is frustration, anger, and outrage. And if you read it long enough, it starts to infect you. And, and really, there's this inner voice that starts to say from people, what an idiot. How, how could these people even believe this garbage? And that's pretty much, that's pretty much the overall tone. And may, maybe, like I said, here's the thing. I know there's evil out there. Like, we know that's biblical. Like we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But biblically, does that give you a right to be harsh, frustrated and angry? I don't know that it does. I don't know that it does. Jesus lived in the same world that we did and he never acted that way. Matter of fact, he that when you saw outrage from Jesus, it was at people who were being harsh to other people who were broken. That's when he was outraged. That's when he became seemingly harsh and our speech is not called to do damage. It's called to heal and not tear down. It's called to build up and courage and to strengthen. And we have got to let our lips, the law of kindness, be in our lips. Secondly, we've got to be kind in our homes. Now, I've thought about this a lot because I know I've even seen people, I've even seen people posting th things and saying different things about this situation because I, I, we don't have any kids. We want kids. But, but, but the thing is, I can imagine, like I got, I got nieces and nephews and stuff, and I can imagine that probably when you got your kids at home and you've been quarantined with them, you might, I, I could say I probably lose my mind. But at the same time, you've got to be careful about what comes out of your mouth during these seasons in your family where you're around each other so much because God's greatest gift to you is your family. And you can say some negative things about your children. You can say some negative things about your spouse. And there's going to come a time when you wish you had more time with them. And we have to learn as Christian people to, to do that. And here's the thing. When you say negative things about your kids, just know this, that there are millions of people in the world that wish they had kids. 
and understand that you've got a gift. And I know I could understand that it'd be frustrating. I would probably lose my mind, but you got to make sure that kindness is the law that is in your house and let the Holy Spirit birth that in your heart. And as, I, as I'm speaking this, listen, as I'm studying this, I was deeply convicted because I realized more than anything, like God is saying, Clay, you have got to learn to be a more kind person. I'm not saying this from a pedestal saying, I've got this figured out. This is me trying to work on myself as well. Thirdly, we got to be kind in our marriages because we can end up just taking each other for granted. And what I notice is that if, if, if we let it slip in our marriage, what ends up happening is, like I said, we take each other for granted. And because we're so comfortable with each other, we feel like we have the right to just let all of our frustrations, like we'll be around, we'll be around friends and be like this. Yeah. Hey guys. But then at home, you just pour out all your wrath on your spouse. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, and we do that. And, and, and we're not, what, what you have to understand is that is your, that is your wife. That is your husband. They are to receive the best part of your love, the best part of your kindness. And man, that's something that only God can do in our hearts and do in our lives. Colossians 3, 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I've had to take that one for myself and hold on to it. That's, you know, a memory verse right there, right? Ephesians 5.33 says that the wife must respect her husband. We have got to fight to create a culture of kindness in our core relationships. The bedrock of love is a habit of kindness. And really, really, it means something simple like this. One, one, here's, here's what the Lord gave me and when I was thinking about this, is a habit of kindness. Is sometimes what I notice is, is like my, my wife, sometimes she'll, she'll just ask me a question or say, just look at this. And it's really a small thing. It's not that big of a thing at all. But how I respond to that, I can put it off and like just be, I don't want to be bothered with that right now. That's, that's harsh. It's not kind. See, and how we learn how to respond even in those moments reveals the health of our relationship to a large degree. And, and that's something that we have to work on. And fourthly, we have to be kind in the church. We want to create a kindness, a, a culture of kindness in our church. And I got to be honest with you, I've been in some churches where there are pockets of culture where we tear each other down and we say negative things about each other. And we're just we're just harsh with with each other. I remember I used to come into the church and there was this guy say, get the coffee ready. And just walk on by me. You know, that was his first word to me. It was a little, eh, you know, I don't know about that in the church. We, we need to uproot that culture in the church. And we need to be kind to one another and love one another and take interest in one another. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The church should be a place that is very careful with its speech and it removes any ounce of bitterness, any ounce of anger and clamor, and it learns how to be kind to one another because the world is longing for this kind of a community. The world is longing for this kind of a community where there's, enough, there's so much kindness that there's space for you to be yourself, but at the same time, be open to God speaking to your heart and changing something about you. The world's longing for this. And we've got to understand that as followers of Jesus, how are we interacting with people? How are we interacting when we're, when we're online? How are we interacting with our close relationships, our core relationships, in our family, with our children, with, with, with our, our loved ones, with our spouses? How 
are we reacting? We have to pray in these times that in a culture of harshness, God would fill us with the Holy Spirit like never before. And see, on, on this Mother's Day, like I said, I, the, the one thing that my mom and, and even other moms that, that, I, that I've seen around me that have impacted my life, the one thing that I've noticed is, is, is their radical kindness. And I pray, man, that, that that's, the Spirit of God could fill us in such a way that that fruit of that kindness could be revealed. As followers of Jesus, we have to model how He treated people, how He spoke to people. And I'm telling you, when we begin to do that, when we begin to shine as lights in a harsh culture, in a harsh world, we're going to open up space for people to come to repentance because it is the kindness of God that melts people's hearts and leads them to repentance. And that's what we pray right now. And so where, where, where you're at right now, I, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that if God is dealing with your heart, that you would know and rest assured today that his disposition toward you is one of love and kindness. Do we have to acknowledge our sin? Do we have to repent of our sin? Absolutely. But it's not because God is angry at you. It's because He loves you and He understands that any kind of sin, any kind of, of, of aberration from what He has in our lives is going to ultimately hurt us. And He loves us too much to allow us to live in those types of, of, of sins and behaviors. And so right now I just want to pray and, and I want you to pray with me. And Father, we just come to you right now and, and we come to this place of repentance because God, we confess, Jesus, that you are Lord of all the earth. And God, we are thankful that you are not an angry, vindictive God, that you're not hateful, but Lord, you reveal yourself as kind and compassionate and slow to anger and full of mercy. And you loved us so much, God, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and in his kindness... Stretch out his hands on a cross and take our sin upon himself. And so, Lord, we turn to you now. And I pray that in this moment, Lord, your loving kindness, your goodness would be poured out upon people as they are listening to this. That you would wrap your arms around them. That, Holy Spirit, you would fill them. And that love would be poured out in their hearts. That kindness, God, toward them would be poured out in their hearts. And, Lord, those of us that know you, Lord, as, as we repent once again in this moment and say, Lord, we, we repent of our harshness, of our anger, of our frustration. Help us, God, to love our children, to love our spouses, God, to love our friends as you have called us to. And help us to be kind, Lord, to those who don't know you, to, to every person in the world, Lord. Your word says you're kind to the unthankful and even to the evil. And Holy Spirit, we want you to uproot everything that stands against that truth so that we can learn to be kind. We can learn to reflect your image. But we turn to you, Jesus. We receive your forgiveness and Holy Spirit, we receive power from you today to live differently as we walk out this life in this moment. God, we bless each person in their homes right now. We bless each family. We thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to do a work in all of us in these times. And Lord, we, we ask you to lead us with every step that we take and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in this morning. We hope to see you soon.